Morgan, we're going tomorrow and, you know, we're going to go get an elk. What is the build and caliber of the rifle that you're going to grab? I'll go grab my 6.5 Creedmoor NRL Hunter rifle out from underneath the bed. Awesome. How much does it weigh? 12 pounds. What's well, 11.8. What's no, 11.6. Sorry. <laughs> what scope do you have on it? Uh, a 3.6 to 18 by 42 Leopold uh, Mark V with a TMR reticle in it. Do you carry a tripod if you were going to actually go hunting? Uh, yes. Um, do you do you wear boots or shoes? I, I, I know the answer. But, uh, but awesome. not cowboy boots. I, I, if I'm going to go hunting, I'm going to put some, I'm going to put some uh, hunting boots on. So, all right, this is totally unrelated, but I think it, it would be pretty funny. So if, if we're out hiking around and you see somebody walk up in cowboy boots, what does that say? Depends on how far away from their horse they are. <laughs> awesome. Good enough. So let's say you're going to go to a match at K&M and I've never been there, but it doesn't matter. What rifle are you going to grab? Six, five, my six, five Creed more, uh, because, well, I don't have to justify it, I guess, but yeah, my six, I've got a, I have currently, I have a dasher and a six, five Creed more ready. Well, I don't have a six, five Creed more ready at the moment. So if I had to fly out tomorrow, it'd be my dasher because it's ready, but my six, five Creed, uh, I got to get it broke in. What, what scope on it? Uh, a, uh, five to 25, by 56 mark five with a pr2 reticle label so what what bipod would you take to k&m uh i pretty much take so this is a tough one because i would probably take both but i would take a my skypod and a harris would you take that same loadout to cameo or would you make any changes uh for, i think i did uh so i Oh yeah. Yeah. That the same loadout. Yes. The, this, the Harris that I, I guess I, so people know how high it was. It was a, a six to nine Harris. And so, but my sky pods obviously taller. Uh, I, in, in uh cameo, I run the same. I, most of the time my gun always has my, my sky pod on it and it's the PRS version with a, uh, it's the Evo pod leg extension with just these rubber they're basically the feet that you put on those are there for uh walking sticks so but yeah that's what i take to cameo that's what i take everywhere so you you have a lot of experience with six five creedmoor if i okay. gave you you know you you did whatever load workup but but we're, we're ignoring load workup if, if you developed a load with 140 burgers and then you developed a load with 156 burgers do you think we could go out and you could shoot the difference between the ballistics of the two? No. And how about if you took your 156 burger 65 Creedmoor and you did it next to a dasher? Like could I shoot the difference? No. If you shot a course of fire, would your hit percentage be different? Yeah. It would be different? Yeah, yeah that's a long question. That's a loaded question, but yeah, it would be probably. Oh, okay. Which one? Which ones? Which one would you shoot better with? I think I shoot the six five Creed more better. Okay, um, but I but that's that's also that that goes 
that is a loaded question because it really depends on you as a shooter and your strengths on what is going to be better for you. I think there's advantages to a six, five and there's disadvantages to the six, five and there's the same with a, with a six mil. And the difference is, is which one complements you better. Right. So if you're good at recoil management, uh, it's, it's going to be, and you're good at recoil management, you know, it's, you might have a better, um, a little bit of an advantage with a six, five, because I feel like there's a couple of things that make it, um, just easier to see and stuff like that. But then the dasher, um, in, in certain things, matches where you have to be in weird positions and stuff, all of a sudden, uh, the dasher is easier to see. So it just kind of depends on the day and the shooter. But for me, I feel like, yeah, I'm going to increase my hit percentage some, but for others, it could decrease it quite a bit. Awesome. I just want to point out that I caught you because you got trapped in your own. Yeah. butts. yeah, I know those are, those are my own. Yeah. butts. but that's because the reason, the only reason I say, yeah, but on that one is, is because I get so many questions about it. And I know this podcast is going to generate now is going to generate more questions on it. Cause they're going to be like, Hawaii. Oh, and, uh, <laughs> cause, cause that, it, for some reason, that topic alone is just so popular for, for people to want to know because I fit and and maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like things like things that, uh, that people can buy. So if people feel like they can buy an improvement, they want to know what it is and where to get it and and how long the line is to stand in. Yeah. I, well, yeah. I'm, I try to stay like as neutral as I can and kind of play down and defer to the person that I'm talking to for their expertise. Uh, because, you know, even though we all have opinions, like, man, if you put your opinion out front, when you're talking to somebody, a lot of times you miss those blind spots, like where they're right instead of, but instead you're thinking you're right, you're right, you're right. But so then you miss like the gem that they have to say. So like my style is yeah. just ask a lot of questions and try not to be judgmental because it, oh, so, and here's an example of that before we get back to the, yeah, buts. I say, look, you know, for me to know how you read the wind, you need to shoot. And I, I don't care if, if, you lick your finger to get your wind call or, you know, throw dirt in the air or look at the grass wiggling or, you know, somehow read the angle of the mirage to tell you that it's eight and a half miles an hour. All I care about is when you shoot, how far from center is it? You know, like, so, yeah. so I said like, you know, do whatever you want, but just, you know, shoot these 10 targets and then I'm going to go out and repaint them. And then we're going to shoot these 10 targets again. And and they're like, well, what do you want me to do for my wind calls? Just make a wind call and try to shoot the center of the target. That you know, that's it. Uh, yep. but, but but what should I do? Well, look, there's a lot of things that I would do, and none of it matters if you're hitting the center of the plate, because that means whatever you do works and it's repeatable. And and then if it does, and it's not what I would have thought, then I'm going to try to learn that from you instead of me saying, this is what I do. And if you do it different, then, you know, I mean, to me, that's like the definition of what I consider like a bigot, 
right? And I try not to be a bigot, but by doing that, it means, man, no matter what I do, you might do better in, in a completely different way. And if I'm not open to that, one day, my method isn't going to work, but yours is. And, and, yeah. and so, but anyways, let's get back to the yeah, but. So I'm thinking about a curve that's like flat, like almost if you drew out nine, um, like 10 after nine, something like that. And what I'm, what I mean by that is that if I have you shoot a craft drill, right? Basically shoot paper at a hundred, four positions, 12 shots, it's going to be a particular group size, right? And if I give you all the time in the day, it's going to be small and it's going to stay small up into a threshold of speed. One of, one of your stressors that you talk about where yep. all of a sudden it goes from flat to now the group's getting bigger. And that inflection point I think is important because it's a zone of training. So what do you think your inflection point is in terms of seconds for build and break where it has an impact on your group size? Uh, for one shot, just, just, well, I mean, I would say like a 12 shot group, um, you know, what's going to start to open it up from that, but one shot, 12 shots, you, you have said in a previous podcast that when you shoot, like you consider group variability to be about a 10th. So what would make your one tenth group two tenths if like what stress time build and break? That's so, and that's when I say that, I mean, if my gun shoots a 10th and then I shoot a 10th, you know, two tenths, you know, or something like that, half minute ish. That's what would that, what, what build, what would increase, what would increase that? That's depends on like the position. Cause I, I don't train usually uh, I try to isolate stuff. So I'm not going to like shoot 12 of them in a row, like all at once. Cause I'm trying to train more in isolation. So I think of things more of in, I do either one shot drills and then I, or a two shot drill. Um, okay. So let's, let's say one shot drills. Um, so a one shot drill, if I'm just doing from, from timer goes off to, to, uh, in just a regular old kneeling position, timer goes off to pulling the trigger. I would say, uh, the threshold seven and a half seconds or something like that. Uh, once I get down, um, below that in the six second range ish, then I think it's probably going to increase it over time. Cause Cause that means I have to be perfect on everything in order to get the round off, um, in time and in the middle. So, but at seven and a half ish. So in that seven second range, I can, I can live pretty comfortably and still, um, make sure everything's good. So if I had a 10 position, 60 second stage from, where you alternated positions. Nope. There's a chance you'd miss a one inch. Because that that means my first round is going to be, go. uh, my first one is going to be about seven and a half seconds. And then my second, everything after that is going to be somewhere around uh, nine seconds. So I wouldn't even shoot that stage. (laughs) Would you rather time out? And get yep. all your shots perfect, or would you rather try to go a little bit of fast and risk yeah. 
blowing depends so i'm going to look at that and because i know my limitation on that right so i'm going to look at that that stage so what you're saying is that i've got six seconds per position depending on the target size if it's a one minute target i'm timing out uh if it's a two minute target i'll get them all off and hit them all okay next question would you go to a national match with factory ammo yeah, I just started, uh, I just, uh, two days ago, um, just kind of finalized the deal where I shoot for Eagle Eye ammunition. So it's all factory from here on. That's awesome. So the record button starts now to see if factory ammo can compete at your level. Okay. When you go, it will, it will. I, did I know enough to know it will <laughs> Yeah, I believe you. I haven't shot hand loads for a year or so. Um, but I oh, I know, I know, yeah, level, but but I'm, I'm really curious because personally, for me, I wouldn't go to a PRS with factory ammo because I'm not as experienced. But I have a hunch that you could if you had the right ammo, but you'd have to pick it. And is it worth testing lots to pick the one that's enough, or do you just hand load? So now I want to get to a hand load question, people. As everyone on the internet knows, go nuts over hand loading. But you are the best shooter in the world. And um, you hand load up until pretty soon where you're going to not have to hand load. And I'm like, that's pretty awesome because it's going to save you a lot of time. But up until this point, what did you do for brass prep? Uh, I would come home from the match and throw it into a uh, a bin where it would sit until I would size it. And all I would do is I put it in a Ziploc, like a gallon Ziploc bag, spray some lube in there, which is, I just use Hornady one shot cause I'm lazy. Uh, and it's just, it's easy just to spray a bunch of it in there, shake it up, spray some more in there, shake it up, spray some more in there, shake it up until you got, got them all kind of coated. Then I dump them into a, a, a bin behind my press and I just start, I got to auto eject system or system on my uh rcbs charge master or not charge <laughs> rcbs rock chucker uh and uh i just run it through a full length sizing die and uh it'll it just kicks them out as fast as i can go i don't i i like unless and i haven't i haven't tumbled brass after after a match in a long time uh, just because most of the time you, they don't get that dirty, even if it's in kind of bad conditions, generally they're not that dirty. So I don't really worry about it and I don't have time to worry about it. And so I just do that and then, uh, and then I'll tumble it to get the lube off and clean it up. And that, that'll be, I don't know, anywhere from two hours to all night, um, uh, depending on how much time I've, I've, I, how much time I have. And then, uh, I will then run it through my Henderson trimmer and it goes into a, uh, uh, another bin that's ready to load. Sick. That's awesome. Okay. When you, when you fly to a match, because you fly to a lot of matches, do you pull the bolt out of the action or do you leave it in? 1000% pulls, pull the bolt. And if you guys don't do it because, I've seen it several times where, and with not with multiple different actions where 
you know, like if you've seen people on a runway and they start pitching your rifle, uh, it don't take very long before you realize like, oh, that's why that guy's bolt handle was busted off when he showed up to the match. Yeah. Do you put lube like oil or what, you know, whatever people do, um, do you put any lubricant on your bolt in action? No, I, I grease the back of the lugs and that's it. I will, well, our actions, we both shoot Lone Peak arms and they're ni- uh, titanium nitrated. And so mm-hmm. you don't, it's a, it's a lubricating coating. So technically you don't need it. You probably don't need it on much of anything anyways, the way I don't know. Like even if you're on a polish, nice polished action, you probably don't need it. But I, I would, I might run dry lube if I ran a, if I ran a um, stainless, just stainless action. But I, I don't in the winter time, and I don't care what anybody says. Like there is dry lube, though. Like you put like the extreme Hornady dry lube is the best I've found as far as dry lube goes. That spray stuff, and it's that you got to get the extreme um, lubricant. Uh, the extreme one and it's in like a black spray can that's the best i found but still when you get down around zero degrees even though it says operating temp is lower than that it still gets gummy and i mean gummy uh i've tried the stuff from uh from bortec bortec stuff gets gummy when it gets real cold you just gotta so i just i've learned that a dry bolt is better and a little bit of grease uh, right behind the lugs is about all you need. Okay. What range finding binoculars do you use? The swirls, the tracking assist ones. Do you trust the software links between binos with AB phone watch, so on and so nope. forth? Or do you, uh, or nope. do you, you just write it down? No, I don't trust the link at all. <laughs> Do you temperature test your loads? Like, like, do you change them at all if it's summer or winter? And do you change the velocity when it's summer or winter? Man, I've thought about that doing that, but like, I, it's rare that I have a load that lasts that long. So I have no idea because most of the time I got a barrel that doesn't go from winter to summer. <laughs> If that makes any sense. Yeah. So I, so I, I can't really test it. You know, it's hard uh, to be able to test that one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's something that I see a lot. That's why I'm asking, but I've never done it myself. I, I go to the cold, but you know, I grab, a I could definitely see it in like hunting, hunting thing or a hunting gun. Like if you, if you're like that guy that shoots two boxes or, hundred rounds a year, you know, and you go out and you, you do all your load development in the summertime when you got some time and, and then, uh, then you don't get time to shoot it for three months and then it's hunting season. And it's like, uh, you don't have time to go check and verify, but anymore when we have, where we have chronographs and pretty stable powders, I don't see it as a big a deal anymore because like me, if I, when I take my, my, uh, my gun out to uh when i take it like my hunter rifle when i take it uh to a match i'm gonna check the velocity because i I got the opportunity so i'm gonna check it when i get there and then that's what i'm gonna use for the weekend versus uh operate off of what's what i've been using 
you know, in the past. And if it changes some, that could be to due to the fact that I just added or gained 3000 foot of elevation, you know, there's all kinds of factors that could go into it. Um, but most of the time it's within 10 feet per second. So I don't really worry about it. At hunter matches, most of us use range finding binoculars. Some people go out there with monoculars and some people go out with spotting scopes. But when, how many days a year do you use a spotting scope? Days? I don't know. I, I don't I, I use don't, them at every match. Use a spotting scope at a match? Yeah, not at NRL hunter matches, but I use them at every, every PRS match style match i go to i have a a spotter with a tmr reticle in it the mark 4 uh 12 to 40 um spotter and then i'm and then i right next to it i have my range finding binoculars so i can validate range on every target and so they're right next to each other on top of my tripod and i take that everywhere i went that's those have been with me anywhere from right here next to the house to france that's awesome. If you're, this is, I'm, I'm, I'm joking a little bit, but, but I'm, I'm curious if you're looking down at a target and you're not paying attention to anything else and you, you're like, Holy smokes, that mirage is going up and right to, to one thirty. Is that good enough for a wind call? No. Okay. Um, how often do you use vegetation to determine miles per hour of a wind miles per hour. Yeah. Uh, about 0% of the time. So, um, do you carry backup batteries for everything? Oh yeah. If, if I, if it has a battery, there's multiple of them on my backpack all the time. I've mentioned before that like every part of a rifle in your kit is disposable. And I just mean that, that everything is going to break eventually. You're going to, your scope's going to something, you know, your, you name it, it's disposable, but, but what are a couple of things you always carry? Uh, always, I always have, um, an extra bolt. Uh, I have a cleaning kit. I have an, usually one or two extra triggers. Uh, I got new, pins for everything extra any piece on that bolt i've got extra multiple extras of uh i also have uh usually yeah so everything in the bolt i got an extra bolt plus an extra piece for everything on the bolt and then um yeah what else do i got i got the tools to change it all out uh i got yeah so I don't know. That's, there's not much else to really change. Uh, sometimes I've got an extra scope with me, but, uh, the problem with that is, is it's kind of cumbersome to get around. And, uh, and if you have scope issues, you're done for the stage and you're probably, if, if, uh, somebody or the mass director, something's going to be around to throw another one on if you absolutely have to. And I can get by on about anything. So, rings are torqued on and then the yep. scope mounts torqued on and you're you're a lot of things are torqued and a lot of those things after heating and cooling especially i don't know about out, out east but out west 
you know, we might wake up in the morning and it's 28 degrees. And by that afternoon, it's 70. And then the next that night, it's back to below freezing and then it's back to 70. And that can cause things to loosen up. When, when you check the torque on all of your stuff, do you tighten it with the torque wrench until it's tight or do you back them all off first and then re-tighten them all? Or do you just not do that at all? So I, I just check them to, do they go to where they're tight? Cause I don't use, I, so I've thought about this. Most of my screws are rusted into place, I think. So, so there's that. Sounds but, like my back. But it sounds like what? Sounds like my back. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. They're probably not that bad, but, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't back them off because I don't want to go re-zero stuff. And most of the time when I check, it's in a hotel room before a match. Um, and so, like, I just want to make sure that, that nothing moved. And, and since I do, I do over-torque almost everything. Um, and and I, not in a bad way. Like, I say over-torque. I just have more torque than, than, than probably needed. How about that? So like, uh, I do 60 on the cross bolts between my, my action and mount or 65. Cause that's the, 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 the limiter I have. So if I go on that limiter and nothing moves and with a 65, that, that mounts fine because in all reality, 35 is probably all it needs to stay there. So it ain't, it ain't going anywhere. Mm-hmm. And then on my cross, uh, on my bolt on the screws for my, the top screws on my scope, I do, I go to 25 and realistically they probably need 18, 15 maybe to, to not go anywhere. So I know that I'm good if they don't, if they don't, as long as they don't bust loot, like as long as I don't break it, um, meaning I don't break the, the, the bond between the, the metals. Cause of course you're going to get a little bit of bonding from non-like metals over time of being in contact. That's why when you, you break loose your, your screws, there's always that pop, you know? Mm-hmm. So as long as you don't break that bond, you know, they probably haven't moved and they're tight enough. Okay. I have five minutes before I got a split to start my, you're good. but check it out. You're aiming at a target. This is going to be a multi-part question. Okay. Let's say it's a, it's a target at 800 yards. Where are you aiming? I'm not saying like, what's your wind hold and stuff. Like once you decide, let's say you're going to hold, you know, eight tenths wind at 800 yards, whether you dial or hold wind, are you holding, where are you holding like dead center? Dead center. Yeah. Always. I guess what I mean by that is like a bracketing, but, but regardless what, what I'm going to this is you're, you're holding whatever you're holding dead center. Now it's extremely miragey. Do you change your elevation? Yep. I'm going to usually, uh, so if it's a square, it's a super easy question. I'm just going to hold, hold, uh, it, um, like instead of holding dead center, I'm just going to shade low ever so slightly, maybe, you know, like if it's a four tenth plate, it's not going to be that much, but like, uh, I'm going to take like not quarter, not quite a quarter, but takes a, you know, like a, at least an eighth of a plate low. 
um, sometimes a quarter plate. Dep- and it depends, and this also depends. Like, right, I'm going to hope that it's on a plate that's at least a half a mil, and I'm going to and I'm going to do that, and then I'm going to be watching elevation like a hawk. And if I can see where it was on that plate, if I can see that I hit dead center with that, then great. If I see that I hit low on the plate, then I'm going to go back to center a center hold. But I'm going to use that first round and that. But the first one, I'm pro- well, and it, this is also. Uh, one of those times where I might take a look at the humidity um, because in my, my theory is, is that water has light reflecting or refracting uh, property. So, so, and due to that, I feel like like it can bend, um, it can bend the image that we perceive more with, if there's more moisture in the air. Cause I've noticed that back in, in the West, if I was on the West coast, I'd probably hold dead center of the plate because I don't see Mirage doing as much out here as I do. When you go back to East, sometimes you better hold like, like back East, you better be holding low. Uh, Cause there's a lot more. I feel like every time I see this, there's more humidity. Mm-hmm. That's my answer. Sick. Well, we're out of time this time, but we're going to do it again. Cause I got a huge, huge list of questions. I think it's fun to bounce around and and just see what you have to say um and sometimes you know shorter is 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 a little bit better but i think that's fun just to say this is what i do and and um no i i like it it's a good idea i think i think it's fun because then it's just kind of like okay well we can go into the weeds if we want to but sometimes we just want to grab our stuff and go and and you've got to the point in your shooting career where you've developed enough trust with equipment that a lot of answers just come really easy. And I think that's fun. Once you got to, when you have somebody that has that much experience, they go, no, I just do this and it works, man, that's, that's golden. And um, you know, so there's no more, there's no more, buts. it's nice to be able to explain like how you got there maybe, but so many people just need to say like, look at this point, you know, buy a gun and do what Morgan does. And, and by the time you're ready to start asking those questions, you, you, you probably know the answer to them already. Yeah. You'll figure out why as you go. Yeah. No, you're, you're probably right. I never, yeah, that's a, that's an interesting thought. Yeah. I, I think that that's been my experience in a lot of, um, a lot of other disciplines. And, and I had the hunch that if I take good shooters and I just ask them like, just hammer down questions, like, you know, I'm not, you know, we don't need to talk about ballistics and load development because sometimes you just want to grab your rifle and go. And when you do that, you're going to grab the ones that you trust the most that you think are good, that you know are good for what you're going to do because you've already earned all of that trust and knowledge. And instead of intelligence, it's like wisdom, right? Like, um, you know, or, 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 or like, uh, just, just like with everything, like you get book smart, book smart, book smart, but then you got to go get field smart with yeah. that stuff. And, um, and it's cool because, you know, there's a handful of guys that I, I want to do stuff like this with, but, but you're easy cause you're fast and are able to, to answer those quickly. So I think it, I think it's cool. And I think it's something that we should like try to polish up and, and hammer down like you should try it with with brady like you know you you make 10 questions and he makes 10 questions but you don't know what it is and you guys do like speed dating kind of thing where like answer a question he answers a question and then have 
the listeners like vote like who answered each other's questions the best like I think that would be pretty entertaining and stuff. And and you've got a good, you've got good access to like, I mean, between Brady, you and Paul Higley, it's like superstars, right? Like smart, well-spoken people with different opinions that that could be really fun to listen to. And then at the same time, I'm just going to um, abuse the fact that you put up with me. And so I'm going to call you and record you for, for mine from time to time. But uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure if people listen to my podcast, they listen to yours because I talk about yours. So um, hopefully we can keep doing this, but I can't yeah. fail dad. So I got to get out of here. Um, no, let's do this again. And I want to get you in chat on for your turbo 90 second battle. Yeah, that is fun. I, I do like that style. So yeah, we'll have to do that soon. All right, man. I'm going to sign off here so I can jump in the car, but thank you okay. so much. No problem. Thanks for having me, man. Heck yeah. Talk to you soon. Yeah. We'll see you.